Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. With me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell West. And we bring you word from the baked heat that is the... I think it's the last sunny bit of August. Well, period. that's what they say. In oh, yeah, Island. yeah. You can't really rely on these weather forecaster chappies nowadays. Um, especially since the Met Office got out of the BBC business. It's really depressing. However, we have for you uh, an interview with one of the uh, long-time greats of British role-playing. We have um, a lot of very quick questions. We're doing uh, our equivalent of uh, Ken and Robin's quick-fire rounds with RPG a minute. And then for once, we've actually started running pretty much the same game at the sa- about the same time. We can tell each other how we're doing it wrong. Leicester this August to attend another in the ongoing and very enjoyable series of uh, biannual, every other year, um, games conventions called Continuum, which have a bit of a history which we discussed when we had John Dolman on the show. And I'm here with one of the long-time contributors to all aspects of British role-playing, pretty much all. I would say you've done a lot of stuff. Marcus Rowlands, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, and I'd like to say that you go back probably even further than I do in role playing games. You start you you started when? I think it was seventy nine. I I sort of got interested. All right. Well, and I sold an article to White Dwarf. Ninety, sorry, eighty-three, something like that. So, so you've mostly been doing. D- you started with D and D because I assume because everybody yeah. did. Yes. And the first thing you saw was a D and D character class. That's right, the detective. Uh, <laughs> not, not a terribly good character class. Uh, one designed to uh, short circuit uh, lots of GM's plots. I should imagine people cursed you up and down the country. Mm, I think the trouble was I gave it. Sp- Instead of just having the sort of observational skills and so forth, I, I gave it sort of spells for uh, doing observation and stuff, and it was really not very well designed at all. Um, but Games Workshop were, I think, rather desperate for material. Oh, they used some of my stuff, so they, they really must have been. I once visited their offices, and uh, I saw their slush pile. And you know the phrase, he writes it in crayon. Some of the stuff they've been sent was written in crayon. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to mock, but a lot of people did get prompted to try writing and so forth because it of did. games. So. And a lot of people are, st- are still writing it because, because who started out in that, in games. You didn't stick with D&D. You started to spread your tentacles quite, quite far and wide. I th- I think the next thing I looked at was Traveller. It's difficult to remember now. The first time I ran Traveller, I was thinking, can I do this? Can I actually make another game work? Mm. And uh, so I started writing for Traveller. Then I got, basically, because I was writing a lot for White Dwarf, I started playing the games that uh, Games Workshop were pushing. Yeah. Um, things like Traveller, Paranoia. Mm. Never really got into RuneQuest for some reason. 
You were you were fairly heavily, eventually, I'm not sure if it was right away, fairly heavily into Call of Cthulhu. Well, yes. Um, I think that has to do with Call of Cthulhu being one of the best systems ever written. Do you think, um, do you think the systems matter, or was it the subject matter that grabbed well, the, 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 the mixture of both. They had a system that worked really well for things like going insane, mm. doing scholastic work and so forth. It's not perfect by any means, but it's a hell of a lot better than anything that been along previously. And you produced, uh, you, you did produce many character classes, but you produced a lot of uh, adventures for the old White Dwarf. I did quite a lot of stuff for White Dwarf. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, I think f- four or five Cthulhu adventures, um, quite a lot of stuff for Judge Dread. Mm. Um, not quite so much for D&D because I sort of drifted away from D&D as soon as other things came along. Yeah. Do you, uh, a lot of articles for D&D, though, space where, travel stuff. Where do you spark adventures off of in those days? Oh, I couldn't begin to say. Um, I was incredibly prolific then and uh, I, re- I really couldn't summon up the energy to write a tenth of the stuff I do. Hmm. I did then... In a year, probably would take me ten years now. Yeah, we're all getting on a bit. Yeah. When did you first have things published in game supplements rather than uh, the magazines? I I would have to check back, but I think it would be some of the stuff I wrote for Call of Cthulhu for Games Workshop. Mm. They did some things called monthly modules. Yeah. I did stuff for Call of Cthulhu for champions, so not champions, for uh, Golden Heroes. Yeah. And for Judge Dredd, uh, then I did, uh, I did a couple of scenarios for Chaosium for their modules. Yeah. Um, was, that, was that with com- contacts or with you selling? How, how did that, how did it come about that you had the, uh, had the, the, you got the job? Um, basically, I, re- I think I think he wrote to him and said, look, I've written a lot of stuff for Games Workshop. Would you be interested if I, in, in me writing stuff for you, and they yeah. said yes. You eventually moved on to do short stories for various anthologies, which were, again, they were they, they were connections of connections, or that's right. Um, basically, I I was friendly with quite a few people who were uh, in the games hobby and writing fiction and so forth, mm-hmm. and uh, I, the the main person who was actually purely a writer was Ross Cadney. Yeah. Um, who is, who was editing a lot of shared world anthologies, uh, Temps and the Weird and, yeah. uh, Villains was the other one. Yeah. And I wrote, uh, a couple of stories for, for Temps and a couple of stories for the Weird and, uh, yeah. They went, went quite well. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed them. I, you do write with a sense of humor, which is, um, perhaps the most enjoyable thing about, about it. You enjoy taking the tropes and the ideas and, and twisting them a little. You are very, uh, you're a very, you're a noted fanfic author. And I've enjoyed lots of your stuff. Frog Day Afternoon. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a bit silly. That was, that, that was for an anthology called Temps, which was, uh, that was actually edited mostly by Alex Stewart, who, uh, any, anyone who, who, has read much uh, Warhammer 40k mm. fiction will know his work although you may not know it under, under that name I think he writes under two or three pseudonyms yeah 
and uh, Tempest was a world where there was a where there were superheroes. Only the British government had decided that superheroes should be run by the civil service as part of the Ministry of Employment, mm. and so you had uh, anyone who had superpowers was a temp employed by the British civil service, and you got paid a small stipend for being for having the superpowers and making them available on tap. Um, Basically, you could lose benefit if you did if you did not register. Yeah, things like that. And uh, Frog Day Afternoon was my guy was a bit fed up because he wasn't a particularly good uh, superhero and they didn't actually need him very much. And he was also rather keen on, on starting a career as a, a TV TV actor or a film actor. And uh, purely by chance, he gets caught up in a terrorist operation and things go uh, just a bit funny. You eventually stopped writing things in other people's worlds and started writing games set in... Well, I'm not sure if... if the, uh, one or two of them are creations of your own. Diana Warrior Princess is very much is very much your own. Can, t- uh, tell us, for those poor souls out there who haven't heard of Diana Warrior Princess, a little of the basic premise. The idea of Diana Warrior Princess is our world given Xena treatment. Mm. Think of what we think of the ancient Greeks from watching Xena Warrior Princess compared to what the historians know about them. And then I thought... What would people a thousand years, two thousand years away from us make of uh, 20th century life? So you've got the world of Diana Warrior Princess is basically everything that's even vaguely contemporary mashed together and uh, warped and changed a bit by people who didn't actually know very much about it, but were being paid to write a a script in a hurry. Mm. So you've got... uh, Britain is split up into various states run by different different kings and queens. You have Princess Diana, who is definitely not anyone real. I must stress this mm. once for all. Who is who was married to Bonnie Prince Charlie, uh, but is now divorced for various nebulous reasons. You've got parts of America are being run by Emperor Norton. Other parts are being run by Uncle Sam, who is a military dictator. And uh, all of history gets sort of really tangled up and confused. There really are gnomes in Zurich. There, re- there is a mystic power of royalty, which is used to make your feats of daring do work better. Stuff like that. Mm. And I had a huge amount of fun with it. It was originally a fairly short article. Uh, got turned into a slightly longer role-playing book. By uh, by Heliograph, and uh, I'm I've since started publishing it in PDF format, and there's also a sequel which is Elvis the Legendary Tours, which is again does not relate to anyone else called Elvis who may have ever existed. Please, Why? please, please. He doesn't have any money. He cannot be sued successfully. We should cut to the the chase and talk about. Forgotten Futures, which is your ongoing project? Yes, it, it is. A, I would say a very slowly ongoing project at the moment, for various uh, reasons. The basic idea is that you are taking, with a very rules-like system, easily adapted, you're taking out-of-print science, out-of-copyright science fiction, and 
role, giving it the role-playing treatment. That's right. Uh, basically, what, what started it? Um, Chaosium. Yeah. Basically, I, I, Chaosium wanted me to write them a haunted house scenario, and they gave me an advance. Hmm. And I tried and I tried and I could not make it interesting. It was just, it was just very boring. So I contacted them and said, look, this isn't working. I can give you, I think I should give you the advance back unless you'd like to, me to do something else. And I came up with this idea very quickly. How about some sort of game based on the Victorian and Edwardian science fiction? And, uh, I didn't really get very specific about it. And they, they weren't very keen because I'd just let them down. So mm. I'm not very surprised. But that was the first thing. Then Space 1889 came along and I wrote, I'd written some stuff for that. And there was a big kerfuffle about one of the adventures I'd written, Canal Priests of Mars, where they cut it by 15,000 words and took out uh, a subplot, quite a lot of the uh, action and all of the bits set in Britain. Um, that was partly my fault because it was supposed to be 40,000 words and I sent them 55,000 words. But it would have been nice if they'd asked me to edit it down and they mm. didn't. So at that point, A, I didn't want to write for Canal Priest for Space 1889 anymore. Uh, B, the market for uh, role-playing stuff generally seems to, be, seems to have got a bit depressed at that point. And I got a feeling that I, there wouldn't be many, very many more co commissions. Uh, C, Games Workshop had moved into chaos spiky territory and again weren't uh, really doing much in the way of role-playing stuff. So I thought it was time I tried doing something for myself. So... You took, you took the idea and ran with it. Yeah, basically. The first stuff I worked with was Kipling. Uh, this was 1993, I think. And Kipling was out of copyright at that point. He went back in later, didn't he? Yeah, it was a huge complicated... He's out of copyright again now. It's just hugely complicated. Yeah. Um, what, so Kipling had done some science fiction. Uh, he'd written With the Night Mail, which was a sort of... Basically following a mail, mail ship along the airship routes from London to uh, Canada... And uh, which was came when in most of its publications, it was accompanied by adverts, articles from the magazine in which it appeared in the year two thousand, and so forth. Yeah, and it was a lovely bit of world building, and it was available as as, as a copyright. So I took that as my starting point. There was a second story as as easy as ABC, which was the military the military uh, techno thriller which showed, showed how the, the airships were made to run on time, basically. It was a, it had a, it was a very... Well, it was, it was keeping at his, his more authoritarian, more... Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to say fascist... Uh, I can't image. argue. I think it was more libertarian than anything else, I would have to yeah, say. Yeah, libertarian with, with, the, with the government having a lot of big guns. But, yeah. I'm afraid so, but basically their idea was to stop other people interfering with other people's lives. So... Yeah. It, I would say libertarian with the side or, order of authoritarian. Mm. And uh, together they made a lovely setting. I wrote that up, started, thought, how can I get this published? 
and that started doing it as shareware. Um, basically, people could download it. If they liked it, they could send me money. When I wrote the next bit of the game, I would send them that and so forth. And so I started selling CDs to people. Sorry, not CDs. Floppy disks. We are talking... We're oh, talking a old long, build. long, long time ago. Yeah, it was on. It came, the original Forgotten Futures came on one seven hundred and twenty k floppy disk. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, you, 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 young people at home can look this up on on on, on this internet device and discover what we mean. Yeah, and it was uh, very, very difficult to, to put a, a full role playing game into that sort of space, but I managed it. Uh, there's game rules, there's a setting, there's some history, there's an adventure, and so forth. And it, it was sort of, moderately popular, I think. And it sort of, and it sort of spread from there. There was, um, the, the strange world of, uh, hang on, the mysterious world of, of George Edmund Challenger. That's right. Georgie Cha- the second, sorry, the second one was, I'm getting confused now. The second or, the second or third one was Challenger, and the, the other, whichever one wasn't was uh, Karnaki the Ghost Finder by William Hope Hodgson, and they're both they're di- they're dynamite for role playing games. I can't believe no one has ever done them before. Mm. Uh, moving on from there, various forms of Victorian adventuring, um, the the destruction of London several times over. Oh yeah, the, there was a lot of Victorian fiction about London being destroyed one way and another. So um. Pearson's magazine regularly published world destruction. Uh, London destruction stories. So you had it d- destroyed by pollution, by fog, by uh, by all the electricity mains and gas mains exploding simultaneously, by flooding, by uh, being converted to, into a replica of New York, by capitalism. That would have been terrible. How do you, how do you destroy a city with fog, for goodness sake? Um, just smog, basically. All oh, right, yeah. No one could breathe. Yeah, no. exactly. Um, so I thought, if the, if that was became a permanent state of affairs, what would happen? And there was, a, so I invented the British Oxygen Company, and, <laughs> or 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 some deriv- some similar organisation, and they had a network of tubes everywhere supplying clean up clean air to the uh, the people in London and for so a very so, reasonable charge for a very reasonable and slowly increasing charge. You. Uh, apart from the the Victorian material, you also well, uh, it's not quite a part. There's also Flatland, the role playing game. That's... Well, Flatland came out of someone asked me to do some to write an adventure for a a book that was going to be published for charity, mm. um, which was supposedly in aid of uh, tsunami relief, and then that book didn't happen. And eventually, when when it did. They didn't want to use the thing I'd written, and it was going to be in, in aid of, uh, I think, New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans flood relief, mm. and uh, so forth. So I thought that was a good idea, but uh, they've done this thing, and it never, it, it never actually really happened at all. I should have yeah. measured that. So I thought I'll do one of my own. So I, I I'd written a very brief set of flatland rules based on forgotten futures for a which was a, a giveaway at a gamescom when I, where I was uh, the guest of honor and uh i think it was only about four or five pages long it was very straightforward and so i thought let's let's write a proper flatland role playing game and it ran to about 
40 pages of uh, game setting, science and stuff. Uh, the biology of how flatlanders work, how things like their eyes work and so forth, which turns out to be quite complicated. And uh, some adventures and stuff. I'm a triangle. What is my motivation? Yeah, that sort of thing. And uh, I got someone else, someone else to contribute a very simple role play, sorry, a very simple war game for it, which ran a couple of pages and was played on a chessboard. Mm. Uh, that was Matthew Matthew Hartley who wrote Tusk and some other things, mm. and. Uh, Put in the full text of Flatland, which of course was out of copyright, and uh, it's be- it's been on sale ever since. On all the- all of the proceeds go to Doctor- Doctors Without Borders. What are you playing in your um, non non coming to conventions and non publishing things life at the moment? Are you getting gaming done? Not an awful lot. Um, I tend I tend mostly to to. to to, to play the stuff I write when I go to conventions. Mm. Um, but th- this time round, I'm uh, trying to take, to relax a bit more. I'm probably going to, I've run one Diana Warrior, Warrior Princess scenario. I'm probably going to run another one tomorrow. I haven't quite made my mind up yet. But mostly I've been playing other people's games. Oh well, um, you're retired now. And are you spending more time writing? I wish. It's, it's one of these things you say, I'll retire, I'll get lots of writing done. And it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. You're right. You're, you're sort of running around, uh, trying, trying to make your life work one way and another. And somehow writing always seems to go to, go on the back burner. Uh, but do you have any projects lined up? Well, I'm still, slowly working on the next Forgotten Futures. And there's been a big problem with Forgotten Futures this year because the tax laws have changed. I can't do it as shareware anymore. So what I'm doing at the moment is I've just put everything that I've ever done for Forgotten Futures online as a free download. And uh, basically, my website has gone over from a shareware model to a tip jar model. And I'm hoping people who like it will download it and maybe chip in a couple of quid to keep the site running and to aid cancer research. And uh, as time permits, I'm going to be doing more work on the next Forgotten Futures and I'm adding more stuff to the site generally. But uh, at the moment, that's going a bit slowly. And uh, the eventual goal is to to keep it going as as a role playing game. With occasional add-ons of more, more support material, more scenarios, stuff like that. But I really don't know how well that's going to go. It's very early days yet. So how, what do you, what do you have in your sights for, uh, for the Forgotten Futures treatment for the, for the immediate future? Well, the thing I'm still working on is, is a thing called Empire of Earth, which was, uh, someone wrote a uh, very late Victorian novel. Uh, called the struggle for empire which was uh basically a the british empire of the future versus the syrian hordes the syrian hordes syrian from the from from the, the planet sirius from the star sirius yeah um basically both sides had interstellar travel and so forth yeah and you've got huge battles in space unfortunately uh the author did not write aliens terribly well 
Um, so who and, do the Syrians? I'm sorry about this. Who do, who do the people from the star system Sirius resemble? Then? We're never told. It's it's it's, it's that's one even of the problems. Even culturally, they're they're, they're not pseudo Russians or pseudo Germans or we we learn very very little about them. Um, not because the author wanted to keep it a mystery as far as he take out make out. But because he simply th- didn't think of describing them in any detail, mm. um, we've got the same problem with the technology is is described quite well. It d- doesn't make a lot of sense by modern standards, but I'm trying to work with that. Yeah, you've got force fields. You've got something that's vaguely like TV. You've got something that's vaguely like uh, the glass cockpit idea. Mm. But you've also got spaceships that fire the cannon at each other as they fly along. Side by side, broadsides. You got broad that broadsides. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you want, if you ever wondered where On Harrington came from, this may be one of the sources. <laughs> although I doubt uh, that David Webber will ever admit that. And uh, but basically, I've got the bones of an interesting setting, but there is so much about it I need to make up for myself that it's quite difficult to get it all to work. And I'm slowly working on it. When I've done that, um, H.G. Wells goes out of copyright at the end of this year. I can, I can see you rubbing your hands, um, and, 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 and drooling slightly with anticipation. Well, yes, no. I have a feeling there's going to be a loss of competition. You got a point there. Well, get your blowing first, Marcus. Yeah. It's, uh. What, what would you do for, I mean, I mean, the War of the Worlds is obvious. Everybody's going to jump on. The Everybody's world. done the War of the Worlds. It's, it's been Wells has been out of copyright outside Europe for a long time. Mm. So there's already been at least one War of the Worlds role playing game. Um, I'd sort of like to do the Time Machine, but time travel role playing games are quite difficult. Mm. Um, so I might look at some of the other stuff that's not so popular, like Tono Bungay, mm. or possibly uh, the Food of the Gods, yeah. which. Uh, most people don't know the original Food of the Gods as it was written. They only know it by a really bad horror movie. We know so much by really bad horror movies. Yeah. Uh, basically, basically, it's uh, about a drug that's given to, to, to babies to make them big and strong, and you end up with giants roaming around, uh, and they're super intelligent giants, and... Uh, the government declares war on them and stuff, and it gets rather nasty. Mm. Well, uh, I, I would put I would put in the word, word for a scenario of the sleeper awakes, because oh, know, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Well, Marcus, we look forward to what what you can do in a Wellsian manner in the, in the future. And thank you for coming on the on the on the podcast. Okay, thank you very much. But don't hold your breath on anything because I'm a very slow writer at the moment. We'll take the that in mind. Once more it's August, or it has been, and that means Autocratic is doing RPG a day. Oh, it's that time of year again. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. But um, doing a thing every day is boring and we don't, we don't do Twitter anyway, so it's, this is more like RPG a minute.
All right, let's try and rush through this with not too many old oh god I don't knows. They're going to be old oh god I don't knows. Real dice or dice app or diceless? How do you prefer? I prefer real physical dice in my hand. I don't mind using a dice app on my phone, but uh, especially for the more obscure bits. You know, <laughs> I don't actually have a. I do actually have a D twenty four, but you, 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 if I needed D one hundred thirty seven, then I, I want the dice app. But uh, mostly, uh, there is something pleasurable about rolling a physical object in your hand. Same for me. Um, Since I got a dice tray that um, sits on my lap, even when I'm playing online, I don't don't mind about limited space. uh, I I don't get diceless, and I never have, really. Yeah, um, may well work for people who who aren't us. Oh, fair enough. Best game session since last August. Well, actually... um, I'm going to say the LARPs, uh, the LARP I was in on uh, August the 13th, uh, 2016, <laughs> um, which was my birthday and was also a continuum. Uh, the one, I was in two LARPs, and I might mention the other one in a moment, uh, but the one I'm thinking of was called Burning Orchid, and is a very minimalist and purely character-driven, mostly, almost purely character-driven, um, LARP about uh, a Hollywood film crew in the 1930s filming in South America. And Lots I had of cocaine. A, well, there was no cocaine. There were a lot of bananas, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and a lot of angst. Angst. I, did, I don't normally enjoy angsty things, but that was fun. I think for me it was the World War II game where having established that the Philadelphia experiment was about to happen and that it might have really bad effects... Uh, the player characters turned this into a collaboration between Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein on work, working out why destroying the universe, well, rather, how destroying the universe might happen and, and trying to convince the government this would be a bad thing. Excuse me, that sounds like pointing two NPCs at each other and watching them in action. It was a matter of getting them to the point where they were prepared to, to talk to each other. Albert Einstein, at this point, working for the US Navy. All right. And Niels Bohr having been let into certain secrets by the British occult intelligence community. <laughs> uh, character moments you're proudest of? Um, well, recently. Um, it doesn't specify, but... Well, no, no, yeah, excuse me, you know my, mem- this, my memory is going to come up, or rather fail to come up, uh, throughout this uh, segment. Uh, but recently it was the other LARP at Continuum in which um, we were, it was a, a parody of a certain television show called Highly Haunted Live. And I was playing the spiritualist. And when one of the Ghostbusters um, said, uh, admitted that he had been draining the souls of ghosts into his device, and if it was interfered with, it might cause a disaster of apocalyptic dimensions. I went and caused a uh, disaster of apocalyptic dimensions, and thus because it was the right thing to do. Because it was the right, honourable, decent thing to do, and uh, destroyed Leicester and maybe brought on the apocalypse. So that 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 is that is <laughs> that, that, that if, that's probably an advertisement for not letting me in your game. <laughs> my my mad cabalist started proposing things. Um, my intention in this was that the, the other other players would shout them down as ridiculously dangerous. Instead, they started engaging with them and trying trying to fix the minor bugs. <laughs> okay, yes. I, think, I think I've got this character nailed now. To a tree? Mm, she'd probably enjoy it. Most impressive thing somebody else's character did. Um, I'm still going to go... I've probably used this anecdote before... And I'm probably going to use it again later in the segment, um, was when Graham uh, solved the 
the problem they were having with the with the with the lady dragon by proposing that he shapeshift into a dragon and um sire a child on her which you know uh, solved the problem and brought in in family relationships to the to the game all in one so and it means more dragons in the world which is always well good yes mm, yeah from some people from the point of view of the farmers that's not a good thing from the point of view of the dragons who are of course the people who count it's a very good thing yeah yeah uh, yeah i i had um an Eilish dwarven bard in the Torg game who specialised in t- in see- seeing a situation which the pre-written adventure was clearly setting up to be a combat encounter and turning it into a social encounter mm. by saying the exact right thing. <laughs> what story does your group tell about your character? Well, I'm not most. I'm mostly not a. Uh, I'm not a. Not. I'm a GM mostly. I'm struggling on this one, Roger. Help me. Well, uh, the the only character I'm playing regularly at the moment is that mad Kamalist. Um Well, the yeah, they, they they like telling stories about her. I, I don't see her as mad as, as as mad as the rest of the players do most of the time. Hmm. Uh, she she has an ability to to tell the truth at the least convenient possible moment. But so far, this has worked out fairly well. Yeah. Well, like um, when when we are talking to Infinity and Centrum, and and they ask straight out. So, do you actually know how to get to our homeworlds? And r- rather than hesitate and hem and haw, I just say, yes. Because, yes, we had decided this would be a secret from them until the time was right, but it does seem that the time is right, and, you know, let's have some honesty here. Hmm. They can work out for themselves. We've had this knowledge for about a year of subjective time and not done horrible things to them. So, Yeah, that, that, that's the sort of subordinate you really don't want to have. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got, abso- I've got absolutely nothing. Something may come to me later. Um, yes, most amazing thing a game group did for their community. This is just not exper- not my experience at all. I'm, I, if if you you or I or somebody else that we game with said let's go and do some charity work, it would be us. It wouldn't be the game group. Well, quite. Um, the Wiccan group did organise a uh, a games day at the local library for them, um, and it was not a spectacular success. Let me put it that that way. Mm. But it was badly uh, advertised, and very few people turned up at the initiative of the library. But we, we did, we did do do it. I'm sure that there are games groups. I think the most amazing thing my games group has done for the community is last for about forty years. It's not bad going. Yeah, I, I mean, it was there before I I got I got there, and I was what twenty. It must have been forty years where when I when I turned up, they were mostly. Uh, they were mostly uh, figures war gamers with a few role gamers, and then we took over, and then uh, and then the Magic the Gathering players nearly drove us all out. But you know, through thick and thin, Wednesday after Wednesday, uh, it keeps on meeting, and that is. That I, I is think we've established that the war gamers are still now active as a separate group. Yes, yes, they they. they do they still wear, wear jumpers and smoke pipes? I have this mental image of. Well, it's all non-smoking these days. Well, yeah, but they would they if they could. Well, I do. Yeah, that's true. What aspect of role-playing games has had the biggest effect on you? Uh, for me, it's an excuse for research. I've, I've learned all sorts of really obscure things using a game as a thin shell of an excuse. Yeah. For me, it's the opportunity to role, to play parts. I am a, a mostly not very successful actor, and I get the chance to use my impro skills in a very obscure setting. It's probably absolutely no damn use in the theatre, but... Um, um, but but I but I get to play parts, and I get to play really weird parts that nobody would cast me for. I'm certainly never going to be a romantic lead um, in anybody's um, imagination. So, but I, I get to, very I get unlikely to, to be female one too. 
That's true too. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, I now re- that reminds me of the this story my my group tells about uh, my character, uh, which was Layla. Um, she was based on the on the character from Doctor Who, and she was a a, a primitive savage uh, warrior who got t- tangled up with the the RuneQuest group. And they were and and the story they tell is about her death, how she was underground, and a strange veiled lady came up and tried to. Uh, fasten onto the, onto the group, and she was the one who didn't trust her. And mm-hmm. she sa- said eventually, look, I'm terribly sorry about this, but uh, but I really can't trust you. I mean, you might be anything underneath that belly. You might be a gorgon. And and they left her petrified body. <laughs> <laughs> Which is indicating that honesty can be yeah, too annoying a characteristic. Okay, what we got? Uh, hardcover, softcover, digital, what do you prefer? I will tolerate... It's like like dice rolling. I will tolerate digital, but I'm fairly sure it's not really very good for my eyes and my... I've yet to... Maybe if I started younger it would work, but I've yet to learn a a means of comfortably reading large amounts of stuff digitally. It may just be that I'm getting old, but I prefer books in my hand that I can flip through and look through. Getting... Flipping... I I remember where things are Mm. physically in books, whereas search engines in... PDF readers always seem to miss the thing that I'm looking for. Yeah, and I've, I very much like my ebook device for linear reading, but for flipping through and finding stuff, it's not, nothing like as good. I do actually like digital for game prep because I can load everything onto the laptop and do it anywhere. Mm. Um, but when I'm actually running a game, I do prefer to have paper to the extent that I usually print out the relevant few pages from the PDF. I have a lot. Then, then I can scribble on them, which is also great. I'm finding, I'm finding, go, uh, flicking through the PDFs of. Um, of the Dracula dossier and the director's handbook is a is a terrible pain. It's it's slowing down my my current uh, Monday night game something horrid. But uh, I'm too stingy to go out and buy the physical copies. All right, I'm just too stingy. Would it help if I wrote a search engine for them? No, no, it, okay. it's, it, it'll be good. It'll be good. Beyond the game, what's involved in an ideal session? I don't know. I've had an ideal session. I think for me, it's just that it. Balancing the fact that it is a social event with the fact that we are here to game. Yeah, I think. Yes, I I think you you uh, you want people not to have um, stress to be able to put their outside lives on hold out out there, or at least deal with them in the pre-game game chat and when people talk about how how rotten their job is being just at the moment, and once they're in game, focusing and not bringing things into. The game. I've had trouble with that recently, as we may mention in the mo. Yeah, somebody on the SJ Games forums was recently talking about one one of his players, whom he has previously regarded as one of the good players, um, getting hacked off when his characters died, um, getting out a great, great big pointy knife and slamming it into the table and stalking out, dragging his girlfriend with him hard enough to leave a bruise on her arm. And yeah, no, let's let's not do that. Yeah, I try not to game with people like that. Mostly, yeah. I succeed. Largest in-game surprise you have experienced? I think, um, I think the time Graham told the Archangel Michael that he was wrong and the Earth was not round, <laughs> um, because it says in the Bible, and the <laughs> he was playing a medieval priest, and uh, the fact that he'd read the Bible at all was quite remarkable, um, and the Archangel Michael decided he was going to take him and show him. <laughs> 
for me it was a, a party of new, newly psychic student types in the 1960s who, when when, off, when made an offer by the MI5 guy of come and work for me or bad things will happen, accepted it. Hmm. I was expecting they would be going on the run. But, yeah, it worked. I have a, I have a second more recent one, which is when my Monday night group... Right, uh, spoilers here for the Dracula dossier. Um, the core idea is that you have dumped in your lap the original manuscript of the, of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, written under instructions from a faction of British intelligence, mm-hmm. with annotations, and they had they had this device, this this manuscript which they'd found impossible to copy by mechanical means, so they typed it out manually, and then destroyed the copy, the original magical mm-hmm. copy. And that's had all sorts of uh, ramifications, which I'm not going to go into here. <laughs> but um, it, 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 I didn't think it was possible to have more people after them than they had before, but now they do. Well, congratulations, we've managed to stop all the faction fights. <laughs> <laughs> which game are most effective the way you play? Mm. Yeah, a- a- avoiding mushy stuff. Um, my, my mate Peter is good enough for NPCs that I've... I've when he's had two of them arguing, I've started to feel worried that there might be um, fists swung. Mm. So, I, so I try to uh, NPC that well. I can't say there are so there are so many. I'm grateful to all my regular players, um, and I could list mushily um, the virtues I find I find in in each of them. Um, they've all taught me different approaches and different ways of dealing with things, and learning how to service their requirements. God, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> um, has taught me uh, a lot. Uh, taught me everything I know about the art of game, games mastering. There's no one one particular gamer who has, has st- sticks out, out in my mind as, you know, but all of them all of them have taught, taught me things. And even the idiots who who we were glad to see the back of have taught me a thing or two. Mm. If nothing else, how to spot people like that. <laughs> what game are you, is your group most likely to play next, and why? Well, um, after the current massive efforts we've started, probably purely on the numbers, um, we'll we'll do something with GURPS because we're, uh, we like that sort sort of thing in the Wednesday night group, mm-hmm. and probably. My Monday night group will do something more mechanic intense, more crunchy than Gumshoe. So I actually I'm thinking maybe that uh, they would be grateful for a return to some version of RuneQuest um, and see what I see what I can do. I have versions of RuneQuest I haven't run with anybody yet, and um, <laughs> I don't see why they shouldn't suffer. Yeah, I, I, I do change campaigns more from the many people, but I have just changed two campaigns. One, one game is in its early days, another is just about to start. Um, but chances are whatever I run next will probably be GURPS, because it usually is. Hmm. What makes a successful campaign? An ending. That's true. Maybe not an ending that you get to, but at least a goal. Yeah, I may have... my The failure of my Wednesday night game, uh, which we'll mention in a moment, may have been because I couldn't I started it out with a very broad remit, and I assumed that I would find the ending, and I never quite did. You want at least the initial arc, and I had that, but uh, once we got out of the initial arc, I couldn't find a way to uh, 
a conclusion in time. I, I like the idea to be there, that there is some goal that is being reached towards, and it may not be a goal that actually gets reached. Hmm. Um, maybe the campaign will end sooner, but you know, even if even if you just have um, the equivalent of the end of a TV season where the show might or might not get renewed, it's you know, we, we've yeah. got we've got to a safe place. There may be more adventures. There may not. As, a, as opposed to we're in the middle of things. Actually, I think what I want for the end of a, a season is we've got to we've we've solved the first problem and here comes something else looming over the horizon. Yeah, I, I leave it with a cliffhanger. Uh, dream team of people who used to game with. I'm mostly still gaming with them. Uh, uh, I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to have gamed. I've gamed with quite a number of illustrious people in the gaming business, and I'd I'd love to get them all around a table. Um, again, um, I'd like to. I'd like to play with Greg Stafford with me as the GM. <laughs> I'd like to be able to actually run a game for Lee Gold, which impressed her. <laughs> um, uh, Marcus Rowland is, is, fun, is fun to fun to game with, um, mm. and I'm not quite sure I could ever impress Robin Laws, but you know, I've never actually played <laughs> with him. I've shouted at him about about uh, about something he was writing, but that's that's my closest encounter. Uh, best source of inspiration for games. Unfortunately, oddly, probably mostly other games. Oh, and and books and everything. Uh, yeah, true. Um, get, get the right filters, and the guy, the boring-looking guy in the bus queue, can be an inspiration for a game. Yeah. What's he really up to? Yeah. It. Anything, everything. The. The 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 conviction that things haven't been done quite right. I feel that lots of games use like fanfic. It's like taking your favourite mm. uh, genre thing and doing it again slightly slightly differently. Uh, that, that the the temptation with that is to make it too nicey nice or too uh, to, to 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 write all the um, tension uh, out, out of it. The, mm. the 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 fun bit is to fi- is to make make it so that there is different tension and different more logical problems than the one ones the idiot scriptwriters throw at it sometimes. Yeah, um, Bill Stoddard has recently had published GURPS adaptations. Ah, yeah, and, uh, um, well, and, and we ought to do a review or something. Yeah, but, maybe next month. Uh, but one of the discussions about that on the on the forums was his approach is very much. Ten, tending to what I think of as the fan fictional, so he he will he ran a campaign that was set in in the Vorkotigan setting a generation later, mm. just after Miles had died. Uh, he he ran a historical version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so yeah. set, set in, in colonial Spanish yeah. colonial California, that sort of thing. Um, but he he basically tends to stick to have a specific setting in mind that he's then going to put a tweak onto. Yeah. Whereas what I think of as the usual way I do things is is to take a whole bunch of sources and take the things I like best out of them, yeah. and have a setting that is clearly influenced by a bunch of things, but is not directly a descendant of any one of them. Mm. What's next? A pair of slightly strange ones. Uh, which historical person or which fictional character would you like best? In, would you like to have in your group? Well, I'm very big on historical philosophers at the moment. Uh, Philosophers who are no longer alive and are historic. Um, I would be tempted to have Epicurus, the founder of the Epicurean. He, he would he would probably really appreciate role playing games if he if he was still around because Epicureanism was all about uh, was largely about forming friendships and making your relationships to others the the shield against the terrible things that life. Uh, does to you, mm. but he might be a li- bit laid back and unexcited, unexcitable, 
He might make a good GM for a very excitable group. <laughs> I would think about Peter Abelard and may, uh, before he was castrated, and maybe he would bring his, his hot girlfriend along. <laughs> um, that I think that uh, Machiavelli would be a, make a great GM for a Roman uh, for a, a game set in the Roman Republic, mm. and maybe. But I think my final answer would be. Uh, Michel de Montaigne, uh, the man who invented the, the the essay, because he knew so much, and he would be he would be the guy in the corner who would know e- something about every single topic. <laughs> He'd be useful in any game. I, I find the idea of one, one of the great con artists vaguely tempting, except he'd probably then try to run something on the group as well, because those people are like that. So that, that I thought, um, someone someone who's got a sense of fun and who's clever, but who doesn't need to dominate the group. So the the Paul Dirac rather than Richard Feynman. If we were talking famous physicists, fictional characters is much harder because uh, you know, they they tend to be the sort of people who dominate groups anyway. That's, this is the next question, folks. Yeah. So, so I'm being entirely random and, and selecting Madame Sarah out of the Sorceress of the Strand, a a little known, um, uh-huh. not quite a penny dreadful post Sherlock Holmes detective fiction, but you know exactly who the criminal is because it's always Madame Sarah. <laughs> Well, but, but but she deserves a more a more interesting time than she got in those stories. I would say, uh, well, I thought about this. Uh, for some reason, I fixated on Lois McMaster Bujold, starting with no, not Miles War Corsican, because let's be perfectly frank, Frank, there would be only one person who ever got the focus in the room. I think his cousin Ivan and his hot young wife would would be would be great fun in in any group. Um, mm. But I think, uh, for my personal needs, I would say Lupi, uh, uh, Chancellor Lu- Lupe de, de, uh, de Cazaril from uh, The Curse of Chalion, mm. um, because he would uh, he would play well to my uh, theological and moral obsessions. <laughs> okay, this is a peculiar one. What innovation could RPG groups benefit most from? I don't know. Compulsory showers before the game. I've never found that a problem. Maybe I just well, no, I have people. No, well, no, no, I don't. I, I, I have occasion only only at cons, and my my own, my own group are, are well washed and civilized people. Um, I, I think role playing games pretty much work as they stand, and that there have been experiments with computer mediated games. Yeah. I, I don't mean computer GM'd games like your standard computer RPGs. I think things like Neverwinter Nights and that Storyscape thing. Hmm. But Ken and Robin were, try- were trying to get the Kickstarter going for a while back. Yeah, why have happened to that? Uh, they didn't make their funding goal. Uh, right. I haven't seen any sign of them since. But that that sort of thing, to I, I can see the appeal of an assistant that handles the rules. Hmm. But the problem with them is that they handle the rules. So if if you've said, I, I want to do my map grid mode, well, I'm stuck with that map grid. Yeah. I, I can't then say, oh, well, you catch up with him. Yeah, really, you'd need... Um... A slightly deferential um, sapient AI to make the ideal assistant GM. Yes, sir, I'll just look that up. Are you sure you wish to do that? <laughs> I, I have been thinking for a while that I'd really like a, a shared online whiteboard for um, mm. online, but I have actually now found one, uh, uh, which is which is basic but looks promising. Uh, there will be something in the show notes about that. Yeah. Best way to learn a new game? By playing it. Yeah, well, read it through and then Read it through. Share the rules if you've got to share the rules with your group, and pick it to pieces. I'm I, I'm doing that at the, at the moment. 
and modifying as you go um, would seem to be the the sensible thing. Don't assume. I don't know. The dynamics are different with different groups, but don't assume that the rules are always perfect and always make sense. Be pre- everybody tinkers. You've got to. Yeah, um, I, I think it does depend on the group. I, I, I know some you know, pe- people who still regard RPG tournaments as a good idea mm. um, will, will very often say, well, no, I, I want this to happen exactly according to the rules because the rules say my character can do this and that and the other. But I'm the sort of game I tend to be in as a player or as a GM is, is much more let, let's have interesting things happening rather than let's add up the numbers. Yeah. You do need to have... I, I have winged things... Um, and found later that the game had a system for doing it. Sometimes that system is better, mm. and sometimes it isn't. Most challenging but rewarding system that you have learned. Now, I, I challenge the, the, the assumptions in the, uh, <laughs> in the question here. Challenging systems are often entirely too much work. I, I suspect that um, Ask Magica, if I could ma- master it, would be a very rewarding experience, but it's damned hard to find people who are as interested in that particular focus of a game uh, mm. as I am. Um, rain, I, I really like Rain, and um, again, it has some difficulties in. There are bits that haven't been properly realised, but I'm certain it would be magnificent if I could, if I can just get the damn thing to go, but again, I've abused my, my player's patience. <laughs> The systems I find challenging are not, I think, the complicated ones. And l- like you, I'm, I've looked at ver- various Gumshoe games, I've looked at various Fate games, mm. and I, the overall complexity of rules mechanics is, is almost no. certainly lower than something yeah. like GURPS or Rollmaster that I used to run a lot of. But I feel I'm still not getting a handle on it. Yeah, I'm having problems with the uh, with the, with the Dracula dossier. I think that's because my players. I don't know. Maybe they and I have not got the improvisational nature of the of the campaign entirely correct, entirely flowing. When it works, it's it's lovely, it's magnificent. But there are long pauses. Hmm. What do we got? Almost misinterpretation of a rule. I'm I sure got zip. I've got today. zip. I got okay, zip. Okay, next. Supposedly uh, random game events that keep recurring. Left leg hits in in RuneQuest. I don't know why. Maybe it's confirmation bias. But uh, when we play RuneQuest, roll hit locations, it's always the damn left leg. For me, it's NPCs' defences in GURPS. A, a typical NPC has a, has a chance of dodging or parrying or whatever, uh, maybe 25 to 50%. Uh, they seem to do it about 10% of the time at most. Mm. Uh, why, why would I want to dodge that? Oh, that's why. Never mind. Mm. Uh, One of your best worst luck stories. I haven't got anything for this. Well, it depends on for whom. Um... World War Two with magic. Yeah, go on. The Nazi magicians, for reasons which are still not clear, have gone to a lot of trouble to retrocreate a new British princess, the youngest sister of the king. That's not the luck-based bit. The party has realised that this has happened. Mm. Um, uh, m- many people are simply assuming that she's always been there, but the, the party is still re- uh, not not for the moment because they still remember how the history used to be. Yeah, they're deciding what to do about it. They, they so they go and get a look at her. She's visiting a bomb site, quite, yeah. quite a usual sort of thing. The heroic fighter pilot sidles up to her and hits her with sex appeal. Natural 3, critical success. She makes her initial reaction roll to him. Natural 18, best possible. Mm. Okay, the dice have spoken. (laughs) 
Whether that's good or bad luck for her is not not going to become clear until the end of the campaign, but it's certainly bad luck for the German project. What is the game you're most likely to give to others? Well, uh, this is um, uh, two answers. One for people who who have never role-played before. I think I might hand them Savage Worlds or maybe GURPS Light. Probably GURPS Light more likely. Mm. And say, if you want to try running something, uh, try this. See if you see if you think it's fun. Um, to a new to a gamer established gamer, it depends. I might point them at something like if they're they're heavily into old fashioned level class and level based D twenty gaming. I might lend them something like Over the Edge or um, or Unknown Army. Something that Everway, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could still, if they still had the, the uh, I, those those stacks of remaindered Everway, I'd be giving that 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 out for, uh, and I had the money, I'd be giving that out uh, to people. But um, to 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 established gamers, I want to say something. Here's something cool. I'd, I'd give them the rain and clear clear done. That's how that word's pronounced. <laughs> you. Uh, I, I don't tend to give games to people, I, I, possibly because I'm too, too much of a skinflint. That's um, perfectly reasonable. I have, been, I have been known to give out a copy of whatever it is I'm running, basic yeah. rules of. Usually that means GURPS. Um, yeah. Giving people stuff on New, New Warehouse 23 is possible, but hard work mm. at the moment. You, uh, basically, you need to get them to set up a wish list and then you can buy stuff on it. Uh, what makes for a good character? Um, th- this is the, the thing that I game for, is running a personality that is distinct from mine. Mm. I, I like doing that simulation. Well, I I think what makes a good character, for all characters, it's... Um, actually, this is probably... For, for all characters, it's motivation. It's a central driver, a thing that, that makes them keep on doing things. Mm. And if you lose that, if you start asking, what am I doing here... That's a very dangerous question to ask, if you're uh, because honestly, turtling looks so much more sensible when you're <laughs> face down with a huge thing with tentacles, and uh, you're thinking, I could be somewhere else than this. Yeah, for NPCs, I, I always try to give them a thing that they are trying to achieve in the short term. They're not just going to, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe the guy sitting behind the counter in the shop is, is just that. I awesome. want not to be eaten. I yeah. want to get to the end of my shift. I want to win the lottery. But anybody beyond that, I, I try to say, okay, here is what they're trying to do, and now, now let's throw the PCs into the mix to complicate it. Yeah. I also want a voice, especially for NPCs. I want a distinct accent, tone, vocabulary choice that I can shift into, because as GM I'm going to be doing a lot of people, and I want them to know yep. who I'm speaking as at all occasions. I'm, I'm starting to try to do that. I don't generally think of it while I'm running. Mm. Uh, what hobbies go well with role-playing games? Um, well, Research. Library use. Reading. Uh, ob- uh, reading um, is always goes... Go, go, reading goes well with everything, I think. Yeah. Except maybe dressage. Um, and uh, medieval... Uh, well, historical recreation is... Uh, is Heraldry. Used. Heraldry. That comes under medieval historical recreation. Yeah. And science fiction fandom in general, I think. Yeah, statistics and probability, especially for designing games. That's not really a hobby. 
Or maybe it is for you, I don't know. Most unusual circumstance or location in which you've gamed. I'm very boring. I've basically never played anywhere except houses, pubs and conventions. Yeah, me too, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. Um, I've, uh, I've, 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 I GM'd, when I was on tour in the 1980s, I GM'd for, the, uh, for some of the members of the cast of the tour of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern I was in. But uh, that's about the most unusual, I think. A uh, thing you'd be most surprised a friend had not seen or read. Oh, I don't know. I'm always I'm constantly surprised how many of my friends are not comic book fans. Um, but that's about it. I, I know I have not read everything that I should or could have read, and I, I keep coming across holes in my in my in my knowledge. And people look at me and say, "Your wife keeps looking at me and saying, <laughs> What do you mean you've not read?'" Oh, she does that to me too. Don't worry. All right. Yeah. I suppose I would be surprised at this point, after all the successful films in particular, if, if somebody weren't familiar with the basic idea of The Lord of the Rings, but, mm. yeah. There's so much stuff these days, I, I don't assume people have read things, mostly. Yeah. You can game anywhere on Earth, where would you choose? A, I would like a Republic of Rome LARP in the Forum in Rome, please. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, ideal game room, unlimited budget. Well, I think we, I've covered this mostly already. Um, yeah. I, uh, um, a room, I, I prefer. I think I prefer being seated at a table, even if I'm not going to be using maps, things like mm. that, um, with enough room for six or seven people and large, comfortable chairs, uh, pre- preferably the high-back Windsor chairs with some cushions in them so we can sit yeah, there for a, for a while. There should be a Wi-Fi connection and, uh, and speakers so I can put music or effects through them. Yep. I, I, I would like projector lighting on a all the walls, but also b on the table itself. Yeah, I was thinking that the, I, we were talking at the weekend about the the, the glass computer screen table. Mm. Well, I think that would be. I would feel too too conscious of banging my my cup down on it or, or doing it some da- damage. So I, I want something that can project onto onto the table from overhead rather than uh, is built into the table, which itself. is also vastly cheaper than a huge touch oh, screen. Right, yeah. Uh, quiet air conditioning would be nice, then you can have sudden cold drafts. But... Mm. Oh, and a fridge to keep some drinks cool in the corner. Yeah. Final one, best advice you've ever given for your game of choice? This is the best advice for uh, for any game. Find, uh, find a game that you, kn- you know the core mechanics of intuitively, and don't sweat the details. Mm. Single most important thing is that everybody at the table is having fun. Recently, um, both, in fact, started running the Great Pendragon campaign. Yeah, this is part, uh, partly a result of a tale of woe on my part, which is that my Dawn of Magic game has collapsed. I stretched the uh, patience of my players too far. I, I did several of the things that you are not supposed to do, and I stretched the game on too long without um, having a clear ending in mind. And the number of people around the table may have had an effect. And maybe I'll do a full autopsy or post-mortem at a later date. Maybe I'll be able to resurrect something with a different game system to do do it differently. But suffice it to say, I had a need for a new game. And I reached out 
for uh, for a book which has a lot of stuff in it, the Great Pen Dragon campaign, and decided to see if we could I could do a long running campaign without um, too much work for me involved. And I heard about this, and I was feeling envious because I, I tried to run it a few years a few years ago, got a few years in, but uh, I was doing th- doing this as play by email, and it just got bogged down in slowness. Uh, largely, to be fair, my fault. Um, and then the Tuesday night online group, which I play, um, GM had various things coming up and, and didn't want to continue for a bit, so I thought, right, what, what is a really low preparation game? Because if I'm yep. going to be running it every week, I need, I need something low prep, because I, I, I normally run every two or four weeks. Yeah. Well, uh, And here is this perfectly great campaign. Perfectly good. Uh, there are... Opportunities and problems with it, I think. I mean, problem number one, it's all about the knights. Yeah. Um, you are playing a group of Arthurian knights of different personalities, different, slightly different capabilities, but you are all aiming to be the best and most glorious feudal warriors that you can be. Yeah, you may be doing this in slightly different ways, but there is certainly nothing like niche protection going no, on here. Quite. Um, you are the, the pre-gens focus slightly on different aspects of the game, on the fighting, on the courtliness, on being a hunter or other things. But all of you are knights, and all of you are normally working for the same people. Hmm. You start out as uh, vassals of the Earl of Salisbury, um, and it is in the middle of the reign of Uther, slightly before the birth of Arthur, which, which events you may be peripherally involved in. Yeah, they've been gradually extending this backwards over the years. I mean, original Pendragon was about doing stuff during Arthur's reign. Yeah. Then the original publication of the Pendragon campaign started basically with the death of Uther. Yeah. And now they've extended it to before the death. I, I believe there is now a supplement that gives you the beginning of Uther's reign as well. Yeah, no. So. no it's, it's already eight, what, 80 years long. It, it, yeah, well, the, the point of this is, is that you're, it's going to be your grandchildren of your starting PCs who are yeah. there for the end. Now, uh, this is fine as long as people are as long as people are bought in at the start, and as long as you can play enough variations on the theme. Eventually, you're going to get to the legendary stuff, but there's a certain amount of slog on the way. Well, I mean, you're fairly legendary at the moment. Things are fairly legendary, but you are mm. you're starting out fairly low powered, and and the the world is a bit miserable. Um, at the moment. But nothing like as bad as it's going to be. Well, quite. Once once Uther gets it in the neck and there isn't a high, isn't a high king at all at all, then it's going to get really, really nasty. One of the things that's always fascinated me about Pendragon is that you've got this combination of high and legendary deeds with did your manor produce enough food for, for you to be a well-equipped knight this year? Yeah. Here is one of the pro- problems I ran into the last time I ran it, which was I don't think Greg... How kindly can I put this? Has a has a has a major understanding of st- of statistics. He's is he's allowed too much swinginess mm-hmm. into into the system, and and there are some fixes which can be made. I'm starting with redefining the weather roll as being a three d six roll, so it's more towards the middle than yeah. a d twenty, um, and we'll see how we'll see how that works out. Last time. They got into a cycle of death, depression, and gloom. Uh, but I want, I'm, re- I'm warning myself in advance against that. 
Mm. A friend friend of the show, David Larkins, has been uh, helpfully sending me stuff like, um, the, well, he, he ran and recorded, in fact, the Great Pendragon campaign some years ago, mm. and ha- has a bunch of notes and uh, think things like uh, ra- random events for feasts. Ooh, about, apart fun. from getting the roast in your lap. Yes, mysterious maidens turning up and asking for um, and asking for help, or just another drinking contest. Oh, not another drinking contest. Uh, so so far, I'm pl- planning session three of the game uh, the evening after I record this. But in so session one was basically character generation. Session two was the introduction to the rules. You know, um, go, go on a hunt for a man-eating bear and come back and engage some bandits on the way. And the the PCs have picked up a vitally important lesson from this, which I, I think is the purpose of it, um, which is they they engage in combat with the bandits. They make reasonable, not not spectacular, not terrible rolls. At the end of the first round of fighting, three of the four bandits are dead, and the last one is um, near mortal wounded. This combat stuff is dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. My my lot have got a little further along. They dealt with the the bandits not quite as handily as your, yours did, but I think I may have been forgetting some of the modifiers, the, the, the pluses and minuses they should they should have had. Being on foot against an armoured knight is not a happy situation. Mm-hmm. But they got as far as the first battle, which is against uh, non-mounted Saxons, and even so, one of them uh, one of them r- was not fortunate enough against one of the b- Saxon berserkers and was taken to the rear of the, in the second round of, of combat. Mm. There are a lot of expansion. There are a number of expansions for the game. I'm not sure how well they're going to integrate into the core system. I'm sort of delicately picking my way through things like uh, the expanded um, character generation in the Book of Knights and Ladies. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, allowing that for replacement PCs, but I want all the starting ones to be your basic Salisbury Knights. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I'm using it to generate one... Oh, as we've said, this is a game about family. And I've already passed the first winter phase, and one of the one of the players uh, has decided that um, he's not going to go for the bait of those incredibly wealthy but wealthy uh, heiresses and widows lined up at the Earl's Court, um, <laughs> who all have slight problems as well as money. <laughs> um, he's he's going to for the standard wife, and I'm going to uh, a standard wife of his class, and I'm going to use that that system to generate her for him. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, and I think any. Any visiting, N- I, I really ought to generate some visiting NPC knights um, who can drop into the campaign mm. for when I have um, the odd player who, want, who, who wants to uh, who, who wants to join for a week or so. That makes sense, yeah. But yeah, at the core of it, you um, he's, you want to have a family, you want to have somebody to look after your manor whilst you're whilst you're off doing a duty for the earl or adventuring or. Be, uh, and, uh, or whatever, or recovering from being whacked by a Saxon. Yeah, by default, women have higher skill in siege than men. Yeah, that's appropriate. Because <laughs> um, they're more likely to have experienced it. And they're allowed to know things about uh, uh, about sewing and and chirurgery, chirurgery, uh, <laughs> and uh, telling the uh, and telling the peasants where to plant their crops this year. <laughs> the it, I, there is a lot of stuff in the in the Great Pendragon campaign. It is in need of expansion. You do need to do a certain amount of work. Yeah, um, 
the the first phase the the you know, that during the life of Uther I, th- I think is definitely more fleshed out than the remaining ones. Um, well, the, uh, once you get into Arthur's reign, then you have a lot of supplements which are capable of being uh, with a lot of a lot of um, adventures which are capable of being yanked out of their setting and put into into yours. Once you've got the knights established and of some repute, yeah. then you've got. Um, uh, then you've got um, the ability to, for them to be sent off on missions and uh, go and do deal with the weird stuff in the wood over there. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, the, the way I'm planning, planning to look at that is um, that if the, if they survive um, the end of Uther's reign, I won't go into more, any more details than that, they will be among the few knights in Salisbury who have. Yeah. And therefore, by default, they, they will be in relatively senior positions. Ah, whether they're ready for it or not. Quite. The, are you planning to let them alter history? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the, it's fairly... With, with effort. With effort. I allowed um, one of my previous runs of, of Pendragon, uh, one, when they had player character wizards, I uh, allowed... Fourth edition. Fourth edition. I allowed uh, one, of the, uh, one of the player character wizards who was a Christian priest to... Bless the uh, wedding of Arthur and Guinevere, which gave them twins, and that was a major shift in history. I think I would rather do that than um, have the PCs attempt something and be told you can't do that. It's going to change history. I, yeah, it, quite. it's going to be difficult, but I'm sort of tempted. My players, turn off your ears at this moment. I'm sort of tempted to allow them to interfere with the events of the May Babies. The hmm. uh, is you have to have a, a point of view about who did did what, and I, I've always put the blame on Merlin. It's usually a safe bet. Yeah, um, but uh, do they get to um, do they get to prevent uh, the that injustice? Is there any way of turning Mordred from the path he's going on, or is it doomed? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to decide in advance about that, and so I'll say things are open for the moment. If, if they come up with something good, yeah, then I'd rather go with it than not. I mean, there's no, absolutely no logic. They could be in Hampton when... Hmm. They, might be, they might end up being a different bad guy, because there needs to be a bad guy. Yes, quite. But, but they could at least defang that particular um, tragic element. Is is yeah, I'm not sure it makes it makes a, a, yes they could de- they could rescue the babies uh, uh, um, on on the boat. In fact, in fact, it would be the no the noble and decent thing thing to do. Um, Which I'm, doesn't I'm mean it's sh- going to be easy for them. Well, no, quite. They're facing Merlin for God's sake. Um, but all of the things. Hey, and and I'm going to have to dig around in backgrounds. What was it that uh, that made Sir Balin, was it, uh, want to kill the Lady of the Lake? I think that's a bit of backstory I could I could exploit. <laughs> Find out. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever ever defined why, why, why he thinks she's wicked, but she's also clearly one of the major magical strengths of the realm, and bad stuff happens, but I'm not sure it's bad stuff I want to prevent. Mm. It, uh, it's, it's not going to be all puppies and kittens anyway. No, quite. And I... I'm going to have to be careful. Uh, I hope that they're going to take the opportunity for role-playing and not just the opportunity for power gaming. 
uh, which comes with the passions system. Last time I ran, I allowed their loyalty Arthur to get entirely too high, and it made battles a little ridiculous. But yeah, I uh, I've, I I I feel that I ought to I ought to make it clear to them the risks of of going with going with passions and yeah, you, you get a fumble, which you always can. All right, until he gets up to twenty, but until then, yeah, and you could lose your character, either permanently or for some number of years. Yeah, and I think I I I don't know. They're, they're, I'm playing with the same group who 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 I played with before, and they may have institutional memory of why that's a bad idea. <laughs> but unless you get people willing to play their passions, willing to um, live with the extraordinary nature of their feelings, then you're going to miss a lot of the, of the system. Mm. Certainly. Um, I, I think the system goes out, goes out of its way to point out that you really need to do need to impassion things or you're going to die. Well, yes, you should. The, uh, the loyalty um, is, is the major thing. The traits, for some players, the traits, the, the personality traits, are, feel a little uh, railroady. But I well, th- that that just means you just set them to the values you want to play. Yeah. Well, I think I uh, I think they need to, they need their their extraordinary traits at least, uh, their justice, their uh, their their. their I, oh God, I'm going to have to challenge Graham's lustfulness. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. Horrible thought. Um, he's a pagan. He wants it to be that high. Yeah, I, I have one, one um, PC knight who who has took lustful sixteen as, as his notor as his famous trait, and yes, he's a pagan. Yeah, well, and uh, the uh, vanished from the first feast. Yeah, Retur- uh, returned later with a broad grin. And did you check for childbirth at the end of the? Oh, year? we'll do that at the winter phase. Yeah, quite. <laughs> um, the, the the others are just being very chaste at the moment. They say, <laughs> good little boys. We will see how it how it all work, works out. There's a lot of complicated stuff, and I probably want to bring in their families because you have the ability to generate their families several generations back. Mm. And there is going there's going to be stuff uh, coming up, um, and uh, and uh, developments with younger sisters and uh, and their their great aunt who's just been a quick use of sorcery. It's a great. <laughs> Plot hook generator. Yes, I, I really ought to write, write a family generator. And I've, I've gone through the standard Salisbury family history, but mm-hmm. mostly it's been your, your father was in garrison duty and stopped his toe and died of an infection or something of that sort. So, yeah, you're, you're well. No, there was a great battle over here. You weren't in it. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think we got we got one who was who who made it all the way through to the end and then that, and then died. What I did was I did that out of uh, out of uh, game time. I pre-generated those, mm-hmm. got six of them prepared, and said, "Here, choose from amongst these." That's fair with enough. With the with the pre-gen. That was pretty much our first session. Yeah, it was just it would have just been too too long. There's just only just so much dice rolling uh, uh, that you can you uh, that that is for background stuff that you can do in a mm. face-to-face session. I feel we ha- we hope we make up make a, a, at least some way through it. It may it. It may get old, and I may need to, and I may need to remind myself to do one-offs of different games to to refresh the spring. Something yep. I should have done with my uh, with my Dawn of Magic game more often. I think. We we are recording the uh, Pendragon sessions with Watson All Gamers, and these these will eventually be be released. 
I am recording mine. I don't know if I will uh, release them. I don't, I don't normally, uh, on the grounds that we know each other too well and we swear at each other too much. <laughs> and I should, really should warn them in advance if I'm going to put it on the... On the on oh, the, absolutely. On the, yes. Player consent, absolutely vital for that. Any final thoughts? Apart um, from we're looking forward to this? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be quite the low prep uh, thing I thought it was going to be, but it, at least it, it, I've got a core structure. The, the thing that takes up time for me is not filling in what the monster is going to be like it's what is the core business of the of the plot line going to be for this session yeah and and that that is a thing that the great pendragon campaign does give me though it does need as we found it does need a little bit of editing there's there's a winter court event of one year that really ought to happen the year before yeah there are that sort of thing there are errors there there is a uh there is an errata for it and it is valuable but it hasn't caught all of the logic errors or all of the um, tone errors that are in there but I, 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 it's something you can you can make something out of. There's too much. Sometimes there is too much just standing around watching the more glorious people do things, and yeah, they I'm, should I'm always. To avoid that. They should always have the chance to stick their oar in, even if it does mean telling Sir Lancelot he's an idiot, which he needs to be told more often. Yes, in my in my opinion. Um, but French blowings. Well. I'm having him raised in the. Hang on, that's a plot line for for later. <laughs> but we we will we will get back to you and give intermediate reports on yeah. various things. This has been improvised radio theatre. With dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. and me, Roger Bell West. Please tell us about the thing you've just started and you're really quite enthusiastic about, or give us your answers to the questions. Or if you're my players, give me my answers to the questions that I've fluffed. And you can send that to us at podcast at tekeli.ly. or you can fill in on the website. We we do do that. So we do. Advanced. You're the technical person. Here. Yeah, I wrote it. Right, and we'll be back again in another month's time. Thank you.